Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. This episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce is brought to you by Brannigan, Inc. For nearly two decades, Brannigan, Inc. has energized brands in the entertainment industry, helping fairs and festivals connect with audiences. Their creative, results-driven marketing approach drives attendance and makes communications fun. Check them out at BranniganInc.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Weather Insurance. Spectrum Weather Insurance provides a variety of rain, heat, severe weather, and event cancellation insurance customized for your specific event. They have the experience and expertise that hundreds of events rely on each year. Visit them at SpectrumWeatherInsurance.com. our favorite things is when people say oh I don't have a favorite genre I listen to everything and we go really have you ever listened to sleepy time gorilla museum (laughs) and they say hmm have you ever listened to los amigos invisibles the blind boys of Alabama am drive I listen to everything so what's the most outlandish band you've seen where you're in, the cr- you're in the crowd and you're like, what the f- Well, some of those I couldn't go see because I have that clown thing. So right. I can't go see. <laughs> so one time yeah. I was driving down the street, downtown Milwaukee, speaking of bands like, what the... Uh-huh. And I have this clown thing. <laughs> I'm driving down the street and there was a venue and I look over... And this huge semi has along the side insane, insane clown, clown posse. posse. <laughs> I almost drove off the road. So you didn't have a ticket for that one then? No, no. I didn't have that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Slipknot. Or, or Guar. Yeah, or Ambient. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> We say that all the time. Well, it's so exciting. I know. It is exciting. You ready? And then I always stick my face in there like, (laughs) Ready? Yeah. All right. Tony Levin. How you doing? We working? You get my sound and everything? Oh, you sound great. Yeah, you're good. How do we sound? Uh, Very clear and recordable. Look at that mic. I I won't ask what kind of mic you use because I see it right there. It's a uh, Yeti. I'm just saying it's not a secret that you've got a, an external mic uh, set up to your computer. Well, yeah, you, know, what, you know, it it makes everything sound much better, and I need all the help I can get, Tony. <laughs> uh, I know the feeling. <clears throat> hey, it's great to see you. Thank you, and you. And this is Justine. Hi, Tony. I, I, I deduced that. <laughs> nice to meet Thanks. you. And you. All right, welcome to another episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. And it's served up by Variety Attractions, serving up 60 years of entertainment excellence. And today, a very special day for us on our podcast, iconic, legendary rock and roll royalty, 
bass player. <laughs> It'll be a story to tell about our Harley experience. But uh, my friend, Tony Levin. Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Once we started our podcast, I um, started to get in touch with artists and agents and really people that I haven't talked to for a while. And it's actually been a great experience getting in touch with people again, like Tony. And I was telling Justine some of the, the background of uh, how Tony and I met. And I don't want to spend the whole podcast me talking because we want to hear from Tony. I told Justine the story of the first time we met Tony. And I don't know if you remember this, probably the first time you were going to visit the record label here mm -hmm. in Milwaukee called Narada Records. I went to pick you up at the airport and I knew who you were. I was driving my, my, <laughs> my Ford Explorer at the time. And I picked you up and I, and you know, it's one of those times where I'm sitting there going, wow, I got Tony Levin in my car. <laughs> and you just got off the air, airplane, pick you up at the airport. And I said, Hey, Tony, do you want to go grab something to eat? Do you want to grab lunch? What do you need? And we were driving down the street and you go, no, let's just kind of go into this gas station. And I'm like, okay, if you want. And here I am walking into a Super America gas station. This is early 2000s with Tony Levin. What does he get? He gets a triangle sandwich, you know, in one of those plastic containers and a little bottle of vitamin C tablets. And I'm like, wow, Tony Levin can go anywhere in the world, have anything he wants. And here I am going into a gas station with Tony Levin for a triangle wow. sandwich and vitamin C tablets. Well, wow. what's impressing me is your memory. I can't, I can't probably remember anything from that whole year, but the, I'm glad I probably enjoyed that sandwich. And, and thanks for remembering that. That's wild. Well, I had to uh, give Justine kind of a background of. I knew uh, there was a background, but I didn't know the details. The second story was the time when you drove your, I believe it was an 87 soft tail. <laughs> yeah. The beautiful white with the red trim. And you I had remember the white, that. Yeah. You had yeah. the white bags and uh, it looked great, but it was the. I like to think of them as cream saddlebags. Cream. There we mm. go. Maybe they did start off white. I'm not sure. But <laughs> cream colored. Yeah. But, great, you know, great, great looking bike. And, and Milwaukee was having the uh, anniversary, the Harley anniversary, very special get together. And I figured eh, it's not that far from New York. I'll, I'll drive in. That was great. That was very special. Yeah, that was great. And it was the hundredth anniversary. Uh, we went to the celebration together. And I remember we went to different stages because you wanted to say hi to like the guys from sticks and then yeah, 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 yeah. guitar player for Billy Idol and things like that. And Stevens, yeah. Yeah. And for me watching you having other people look at you, I was walking through the Harley Davidson celebration with Jesus Christ himself. I mean, people yeah. ran over me to get to you, which <laughs> that's okay. Um, I don't know if you remember a lot of that, but that, that was a very special time as well. Well, thank you. I, of course, I don't, I remember it a bit and, and I wouldn't have the same recollection of it because uh, in spite of what you said, I'm not all that famous. And uh, I am, what, what was interesting at that festival is I am, 
uh, if I know guys in a band, I'm of course uh, I can wangle getting getting in backstage. That rarely happens. I'm uh, I'm like most musicians like me. I'm touring all the time and I'm playing shows. I don't really get to go to shows hardly ever. So that was a really exception in my life. That wow, I'm going to show and my my buddy Steve Stevens, who I've done a few albums with, he, he's playing with Billy Idol. I'd I'd love to catch the Billy Idol show, which I had never seen, never had time to go to it. And then afterwards, of course, go backstage and say hi. So you were you were visiting me in, or we were visiting together in what for me was an unusual circumstance and 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 a, a very fun one. And in fact, my memories of every time I came to Milwaukee uh, in the years I was signed to Narada Records was really special because uh, they get some good good clubs there and good places to play. And and it's more special. It's special to go to any town that has a good club and a good audience come out, but a little more special if you know people there and you're going to have some friends come to the show and, and, and have a little bit of life aside from that two hours you're on stage. So ever since then, it's been a pleasure to come to Milwaukee. You guys were my Milwaukee connection or the mm -hmm. beginning of it. And, and that was really, really special to me and remains that way. Because I know you played many times at Shank Hall um, one, you'd be yeah. there with the uh, California Guitar Trio, touring with Peter Gabriel on one hand, and then doing a, a van tour with the California Guitar Trio. Yeah, there's there's a there's a wide a wide range <laughs> of the way touring works, and and it's wonderful that you you brought up Shank Hall, which is a club uh, in Milwaukee, and when I played a lot of times because of course the name comes from Spinal Tap, and really. I hope your listeners, I'm guessing most of them have seen Final Tap. And it's, it's, I remember when it came out and I actually saw it before it was well known. I saw it in New York. And then the next day I took the crew of our band. I think I was touring with King Crimson at the time. And I took the English road crew to see it. And, and they loved it. They especially loved the way it made fun of the musicians uh, or the jokes of the, of the crew in the band at the expense of the musicians. But anyway, the Spinal Tap, which kind of made, saw the crazy, fun side or silly side of, of rock and roll touring, everybody saw the movie and then went home to their lives. But for us, uh, it is our lives, actually, in a funny way and also in an, in an exhausting way. Some of those many, many of those very same situations come up uh, uh, every day, every day. And that is our life. And it's, it was a wonderful movie. And Shank Hall is a, is a reminder to me that I wanted to mentioned that movie and and even the name of the, the witch waiter catering is exactly kind of hits in that vein of, of musicians on on the road with their own uh, uh own they're in their own world and and have to adapt to what's going on every day and sometimes it's, it's pretty funny and, and we do have a lot of a lot of laughs on the road and a lot of fun and sometimes laughs at our own expense and that's fine can you share some of those experiences? Like Peter Gabriel, I, I've met him a couple times with you. Can you tell us a little bit that people might not know about Peter? Well, he seems like a great guy. And in fact, he is a great guy. He's, he is the, the person that he seems to be, and maybe even to a deeper extent. He's the guy that if we'll look around the room and see the person, a crowded room and everybody wants to talk to him and he'll see the person in the corner who has nobody to talk to and is shy and he'll find that person and, and ask if they want a cup of tea. And it's, that's the kind of thing cameras don't capture, but those of us who know him see that. And, and what can I say in 40 years of touring with him, quite a few things happened. I don't have stories at the front of my mind, but, but a lot of fun, a lot of, uh, 
a lot of things that maybe are different than what people would expect. You 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 mentioned the different <clears throat> the different levels of of touring and and of, of certainly of catering and of hotels. I'll be with one tour tour that has is staying in Four Seasons hotels and another one that stays in Holiday Inn Express hotels. Uh, by the way, an interesting thing is for us musicians. I can't speak for everybody, but for myself. Uh, the one tour isn't necessarily better than the other tour. It's about the music and it kind of, they're all fun and they're all uh, gratifying because that's what we set out to do when we were young, to be musicians, to play good music. So there isn't, I don't finish the, the, uh, the what, what would I call them? High class, the, the high budget tours, happy and the low budget van tours where we're, we're maybe uh, spending eight hours a day in a van with long drives. Uh, I don't finish those unhappy. They're kind of, in general, equal uh, equal experiences, and that's a pretty special thing, and tells you something about how music, how it's those few hours of on stage making your music that gets you through whatever the other hours are. And let me also say this: when when you're doing a Four Seasons Hotel or a Ritz Hotel tour, uh, I have noticed that eventually the guys start complaining about that. There's something yeah, they can start it's complaining. too nice. Yeah, well, no, no, never too nice, never that. But you know, what is the, what is the thread count in these sheets? Come on, oh it, was, it was better. You know, this this hotel, they're going to lose their chain uh, operation or here or something like that. I, I'm not saying that specifically, but it's it's human nature. If that is your life, if that level of uh, luxury is your everyday life, then. Uh, fast forward six months or a year and every night doing that. And, and you're, you know, I, they didn't have the, the espresso, by the way, the, some of those hotels now have uh, espresso machines, Nespresso machines with uh, little pods for you. So in case you want an espresso, you don't have to call down for it anymore. But wait a minute, there was no decaf. Come on. I had to call the desk. I had to go down and get decaf or bring my own from backstage. And yeah, what's with this, you know? Next time I come here, let's stay in a different hotel. <laughs> uh, so there is a lot of that. And, and uh, I, I suppose I've been lucky and grounded by having a, a, uh, a career that took me both in the private plane Ritz hotel uh, kind of tour and, and on the van loading my own gear, uh, signing the autographs after the show and then running back on stage where everybody else has packed, packed their gear and they're waiting for me to pack my gear and then drive the van maybe 20 minutes to get to your hotel that night, which you haven't seen up to that point. Uh, it's very grounding and very, very lucky. It, that reminds me of a time that, that uh, there was a bit of a musical chairs, worldwide musical chairs went on with bass players. John, West, John, uh, John Entwistle had just died and um, The Who was on tour or about to start a tour. And Pino Palladino, a great bass player, was asked to, to fill in and do that tour that all happened in England, far from my life. But, but Pino had a booking in Croatia that he had accepted that he suddenly couldn't do. And somehow that fell to me. They, they or fell to me in that they called and they said, we have an emergency. It's, it's happening a few days from now. And uh, um, could, you, could you fill in? And, and I had a gig and I had to find a guy to fill in for my gig, a local bar band actually, but that was pretty easy. So. That, a few days later, I found myself uh, uh, going to Croatia to, to play with a, an artist named Giboni. I hadn't heard of him and I hadn't, hadn't heard his music. And uh, the, 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 the flight was kind of difficult. It involved a change of an overnight 
to Zurich, I think, and then a change of planes. And uh, then when I got to Croatia, uh, got off the airplane, I had forgotten to ask about the, who would be meeting me or what the, what the deal was. And I came off carrying a couple of bases and a suitcase, which means you, you kind of don't know what's going to greet you. And I was greeted by, by eventually somebody found me and, and took me out front. And there was, a, I, I was pretty grubby. I was feeling like, let me get to a hotel and clean off before I do anything. But there was a TV crew because the guy, I, unbeknownst to me, the guy was very famous, Jamoni, in, in, in there. And uh, here I am coming internationally from New York to play with him. And the, the, the cameras were going, an interviewer came up to me and said, so what is it about Jaboni, he said, that brings you here to Croatia? How come you came all the way from New York? And I was tired and I knew how funky I looked. And, and uh, <laughs> again, a typical situation of, of someone else might look at me as having a glamorous life, but I, from the inside, it's like, I, I, I don't know how to answer this question. Jaboni, uh, by the way, ended up, I found being a, a wonderful artist, wonderful singer, and I had a great time with him. And I went back again to tour, do a whole tour with him. Uh, so that was great, but I didn't know what to say. I don't remember the words I said. I, I'm sure a lot of mumbling and fumbling as I tried to, to imply that, that, that oh yes, in, in New York, we know all about Jaboni and, and I was waiting for his call and here's the way, but the, the way it really went was that just, it just fell down to me and there I was on that day. And they probably said something like, well, that's rock and roll, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, so over the years, Tony, between, um, you know, living the van touring and the Ritz touring, what is what is the biggest change that you've seen to touring over the years? That's a really good question. I'm, I'm thinking, I think on, on its, let's say it's most successful level on the on the arena tours. Uh, it hasn't changed that much that I've seen, but on the lower level, it has changed. Uh, budgets have gone down, unfortunately, and uh, so the clubs have less to pay, and that means that the bands, uh, not the most most successful ones, but the bands at the level that I tour with, with the bands that I tour with in, in van tours, uh, they have less money to spend on hotels and on vans and things like that. So that affects everything down the road, not in a terrible way, but it affects your choice of hotels. Uh, we're staying nowadays more in the kind of hotels that are near the airport, uh, rather than the more expensive ones that are in town. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, you'll have a long drive after the gig. That's not what we love to do, because usually there's a long drive to get to the city. And uh, in a perfect world, you, you check into your perfect world, you check into your hotel before the gig, then you go to the, the sound check and you spend from maybe three in the afternoon until midnight at the venue. And then you go back to your hotel in less than perfect world, which happens more nowadays. You uh, only arrive at the city at, at three o'clock because it was a longer drive and you do your show. And at midnight, you go to the hotel that you booked. And, and if it's nearby, if I'm booking the hotels with Stickman, the band I tour a lot with, like with the uh, Tony Levin band that I used to tour with, then I'll do the whole, I'll, I'll do the bookings if only so that the other guys in the band only have me to blame. Otherwise, if it's a, an agent doing it or somebody else, then uh, there's a lot of grumbling. But with me, it's, it's all within, all, all in the house. So all mm -hmm. in the van, we can just keep our, our suggestions of improving the future in the van. And, and sometimes I'll have to unfortunately book a, a hotel somewhere down the road on the way to the next town. And then uh, yeah, there's an hour or two drive at midnight after the show. And then in, in the real world, then you're, you're, 
uh, your concern or, or you know, what comes to mind is, boy, that hotel room better be there because we have in our experience <laughs> run into late night check-ins. I don't like to check in late at night. I like to be sure that, I, that I'll have the room. And, and once in a great while, they say, oh, no, sorry. Yes, you had a reservation, but we uh, gave away that room. And sorry, there's no rooms. So you don't want to run into that. You mentioned California Guitar Trio. So in the trio, uh, I'm, not, I'm a, an occasional guest. I'm a fourth guy with the wonderful guys in the California Guitar Trio. So Paul, one of the, Paul Richards of the trio, he does everything you said. He does all the bookings and all that. Uh, and he does it very well. And he does it, they, they've been doing it a long time. And he does it in the, in the fashion that works for them. With my bands like Stickmen, I mentioned in Stickmen, I'm, I'm booking the hotels, but I don't do the venue bookings. Or a quicker, quicker way to describe the situation. I'm not good enough at all of those things, all the <laughs> of all of the bookings and, and things like that. So I, I'll take, I'll handle the hotels, and I'll, uh, you know, another guy will will work out the van and 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 some and, and we have a booking agent who books the shows, uh, and all of that leads me to very much appreciate the band. The band that I tour most with now is King Crimson which is a big operation. It's based in England, but we have a tour manager who has an assistant and they're very good at booking all those things. So uh, it, it, relatively, it's a vacation. It's being on vacation for me mm -hmm. because I just show up. And of course, I, there's a lot of hard work in being the bass player in the band, but that's all I am. And I don't have to worry about anything else. It's all taken care of. Do I appreciate that? Of course. You mentioned, uh, you didn't mention which way is catering is the theme here. And with King Crimson, I'm reminded of this by photos I've been looking at lately because as I'll speak about later, I have a photo book out, a new photo book with a lot of pictures from backstage and, and of these situations. And uh, what I'm reminded of is with King Crimson, when we, we arrive, the band arrives in stages at the backstage at the venue for, um, for soundcheck and we're greeted by a whole bunch of, of uh, signs everywhere through the venue that the, the production has set up for us. So it actually says catering this way, Tony's dressing room this way, if there is a dressing room for me. And uh, in, in a way, we're treated like children who need directions to get anywhere. And, and it's a treat. It's a, I really appreciate that. So uh, people won't hear this, but I'm showing you yes. the, right now the cover of my book, which has shows me taking a picture of myself in a mirror with, oh, 10 or 12 arrows, uh, different signs with arrows showing how to get to catering, how to get to production, how to get to production. Uh, by the way, production uh, room backstage on a tour at that level is really the hub of where everything goes on. It's mm -hmm. not only where the tour manager and assistant is, but it's where the espresso machine is. That's big. Oh, that's key. That's yes, important. It's where, it's where the main link is for the Wi-Fi that you'll want. You might be able to reach it from the dressing rooms, but if you can't, you know production has Wi-Fi. So that it, it, it's funny that that's really a, a crucial part of our lives. There's the show, okay, but the other hours of the day, uh, revolve around that hub of, of getting Wi-Fi, getting coffee, mm -hmm. yes, catering for sure. And, uh, and uh, that's our life until eight o'clock when the, or nine o'clock when the show starts. So what does it look like when Tony Levin, A, what does your hospitality rider look like? And B, when you do finally find out where catering <laughs> is, what's, uh, what's Tony's uh, MO when you hit catering? Are you just a you know, I'm on a strict diet and I'm just going to have <laughs> veggies and a coffee or are you, Hey, you know what, today, I think I'm going to have a jelly donut and yeah, I'll, you know, have some more of this. Well, it varies a lot as you would imagine. Um, 
I'm, I'm trying to think in the smaller brands if we even have a writer. I guess we do. There's a writer, but but it, it'll only have some very basic things. And uh, we're hoping for what we call a buyout, where they give us 20 bucks <laughs> mm-hmm. to get our own dinner and we'll go down the street and we'll stop at Subway's before we get there and we'll go down the street and get a bite somewhere. Uh, so it varies a lot. But but uh, on, in King Crimson Tour, on Peter Gabriel Tour, there is a, a very complex uh, rider to the contract of the, the show. And what the tour manager will do is before the tour, they'll ask each of us, is there something special you'd want? Do you, would you... Do you need distilled water as opposed to, of course, all the basics will be there, including deli meat and stuff like that. So myself, no particular, uh, maybe there's no colored M&Ms, uh, for instance, green colored M&Ms, uh, as, as the legendary uh, writers have, have been known to include. Uh, I, don't, I haven't done any, any uh, tours where there are silly things in the, in the rider uh, requests for backstage, but the, there are kind of the basics. For me, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not going to eat uh, the meat stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. for me, uh, this is interesting. Uh, uh, I'm an older guy, for those who, who wouldn't know that. And, no. and uh, yeah, and, and in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an older guy in a good way. And uh, when I tour with King Crimson, it, it, it's not grueling, but it's, it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of concentration. Anyway, I tend to lose weight on the road. So hmm. unlike other bands I tour with in King Crimson, I'm trying to eat amazingly four meals a day just to stay at the weight that I'm at or to only go down slowly. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> not being overweight is a great uh, a pleasure, but, but when it keeps going down and the tour keeps going on, that's not a good thing either. So uh, I, I will take advantage of the, uh, not only eating, uh, I'll eat uh, breakfast in the hotel and I'll, I'll eat as soon as I get, I'll eat a snack or a lunch as soon as I get to the venue and then I'll, I'll partake of the dinner. Uh, in a perfect world, I don't like to eat dinner before a show. I'd rather have a kind of light feeling in my stomach. And, and consequently, we usually, certainly with Peter Gabriel and somewhat with King Crimson, we arrange it that you can eat dinner uh, two hours before you go on stage. Uh, but then after the show, when they have sandwiches for the crew, for the guys who are working, doing the real work and whose yeah. work begins at 11 p.m. when the show ends, mm-hmm. they'll have sandwiches up for them. And I will grab a few of those on the way back <laughs> to the hotel and have another meal at the, after midnight. Um, do you have a favorite venue off the top of your head that you love to play? Another great question. I think not. I think there's a whole lot of venues, large and small, that I really like. But um, uh, I'm sorry, Any, nothing comes to my, well, no, well, nothing well, off the top of your head. To... Well, the top of my head is a strange place to visit <laughs> <laughs> and, and with a short. Maybe we number. don't want to know what's there. Maybe we don't want to <laughs> know. Yes. Well, well, because I'm I've been immersed in my photo book uh, and and in the particular 250 photos that are in there, uh, a, a particularly cool one was, that I explained in the index of the book is the Royal Albert Hall in London where uh, King Crimson has played through the years, but uh, not too many, or maybe two years ago now, we played an extended run there. And, and it doesn't translate so well into, uh, to, for people in America to hear, but, but there's something very special to English people about that venue. It's the Royal Albert Hall, and it has a, an amazing history. And even for a rock band to be in that venue is quite special. So to have an extended run, uh, I'll put it this way, it feels historic. And, and that's why uh, at that show, I was taking so many pictures uh, or, uh, on, during those shows. But uh, it is a special, um, from the stage, looking at the venue, it's extraordinary how tall it is and how there are, now there are sound deadening uh, discs 
hanging from the ceiling. I can't tell you in feet how many how many feet high it is, but it looks like a normal huge theater. But then when you look up, it, it looks like twice or triple the, the height that it should be. And that's one of the special things about it. Uh, and of course, I have a special history there. I have, I, I have not played there with Peter Gabriel, but I played there a few times with King Crimson. And again, you, you have the feeling and the audience had the feeling going in that this is going to be a historic concert. We're all going to remember this concert and, and it's going to live on in some way. And, and in fact, uh, that, that kind of event, not venue, that kind of show can happen in any venue. You can have the smallest, humblest club, or you can have a pier. I know King Crimson did in the 80s, did a, a series of shows on a pier in New York City that somehow just felt better than all the other shows. And the audience, most of the audience, all those people in the audience, even though it was in the 80s, ever since when they see me, they say, remember that show on the pier? And, and I say, I do remember it. It's just everything clicked. It was wonderful. And everything, including the audience and the vibe uh, and the band and the music. And, uh, and guess what? I have photos from that show in my mm -hmm. book. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so those are some venues that come to mind up here. It's funny, a humble pier next to a battleship on, on, on the west side of Manhattan and a, and a fabulous building in the center of London built by uh, Albert and Victoria. Um, speaking of special places, I've heard a couple interviews uh, from different artists, and I'm going to go back to Peter Gabriel, the real world studios. Um, oh, yeah. I heard a heard a interview from Harry Styles about he just recorded his uh, newest album at Real World and how special of a vibe and a place that is. And then, of course, they have to break out in Sledgehammer while they're there. <laughs> um, what makes Real World uh, those studios? Because you've been there, of course, many times. But what makes that place so special? Real World Studios, Peter Gabriel, uh, I was recording with him before that, before he bought that property and made it into a studio. And before that, he had a kind of large house that he built a studio in the barn. He's always been, when he had the resources, been the kind of person who wants to have a studio that's different than others and, and is really special and close to home. So Real World, uh, what became called Real World Studios is a, a, a mill complex a mill, an English, an old English mill. In other words, there's there's a, a stream running through it, and going over falls, and and it, it uses the the power of the that falling water to to, I, I don't know what to do mill things. Yeah. Uh, and and this <laughs> interestingly, they took the mill complex and put in some uh, uh, plexiglass flooring. So in the drum room, for instance, you look down and you see the stream running under you. The oh, sound right. that can go up into the drum. Yeah, it's very special, very hmm. unique. And, and the, the very distinctive control room is larger, was larger than any control room anybody knew about when it was first designed. Now there's probably others that big, but it looks out at the, at a, the pond with swans in it. And uh, I'm sorry, not swans, geese and ducks in it. And, and that just goes right up to the the huge wraparound windows of the control room. So it's very special, very nice vibe. There are, are there's a, are enough buildings on the property that the bands can stay there. So you're in residence there, which is really nice if you're making an album, it's really a luxury to have no distractions. Uh, it, it can be exhausting <laughs> not mm -hmm. to be, not to be able to get away from your music from, from the moment you wake your eyes, we could, wow. from the moment you wake up and open your eyes till the moment you go to bed, but, but it's uh, it usually, ends up very productive way to make an album. 
I've made a lot of albums there, uh, fortunately with Peter Gabriel and also with other groups and uh, with some tracks of my own. Uh, there's a, there are multi studios within the complex. One of them is called the writing room. It used to be, it, it's kind of way off to the side and it's near the train that goes by a few times a day, very high speed train. And, and therefore it's not the quietest room and they'd never bothered to insulate it completely like a studio can be. And, uh, uh, but it became a studio. And one time I was in there uh, recording a piece for what became uh, my first album, World Diary, uh, recording a duo with a wonderful uh, Nyatiti player. And, and a train went by during the take. And, and we kept playing. We thought, well, that's the end of that take. And, and later changed, changed my mind and named the song The Train <laughs> and, and left the, the recording of The Train on. Uh, yeah, I have lots, lots of things that have went on through the years at, at uh, Real World Studios. Uh, maybe too many that I can focus on, on yeah. what they are. It's just, yeah. just so many. We also, uh, some tours of Peter Gabriel, we rehearsed in some of the rooms, not in the main studio, but some of the side rooms we would rehearse for his tour. And an interesting thing about uh, the pre-production for Peter Gabriel's tour is you're we musicians are there to rehearse the music, but the production for the tour is being put together at that same time. Production, in other words, what, what the stage is gonna look like, what equipment there's gonna be. Uh, sometimes Peter, well, very often now, pro projects videos onto screens in the back of the stage during the show. So those videos need to be shot beforehand and, and they involve a lot of complexity and a lot of things. And that's all going on while we rehearse. There'll be, people will be having meetings with, with Peter and, and for instance, typically I, I might see a, a, a little model. I'm, I'm hearkening back to Spinal Tap again. I'm, I'm seeing a little model, maybe two feet square on the floor of a, uh, looks like a stage with a, with a, a round thing above it. And I, and I said, Peter, what's that? And he said, oh, that's, that's we're looking at the, the next, this tour, we're gonna have a, a stage and a heaven stage, which is above it. And, and a helicopter will come by and lower that stage and it'll somehow stay, this is pre-production, so it's not really happening yeah, yet, yeah. these are ideas. And, and, I, and, and then we'll have the band will play on the, on the upper stage, on the heaven stage, and we'll all be upside down. And I'm looking at that little, uh... little, uh, little <laughs> model that looks a lot like the, 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 the Stonehenge model in, in Spinal Tap. And I'm thinking that uh, a helicopter, that's an interesting idea, but honestly, and, and so things like that going, that somewhat happened in the end, the tour in the end did have the upper stage, but a helicopter was not involved. It was, these, it was an arena where the, the crew built that stage and the, the band didn't go, even though in rehearsals, we tried going up onto the top stage, but Peter did end up going there and, and not only being upside down, but walking, they found a way for him to walk around the circular stage to walk around the circumference of it uh, um, during the show. So it was interesting. And so these things are in progress in the pre-production It's very interesting. And at real world is where most of them happen uh, in the last, uh, in the last few tours. That's interesting how that be, were you talking about the growing up tour? I'm not good at tour names. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I remember 
we came down to see you and Peter in Chicago, Chicago. and I think, and that was the the year that the Blind Boys of Alabama yeah. formed. And yeah. when you were talking about Peter walking upside down around, I think yeah. that was kind of that time. But it's interesting that you bring that up and how that all kind of developed from, hey, maybe that was going to be a helicopter at some point. <laughs> oh yes, yes, and 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 the band was going to live up on not upside down necessarily, but, but on that upper stage. And we did rehearse some of that. And I, I think, oh, I don't pay attention to why things don't happen or why they do happen. But I think mm -hmm. one of the things was the time it took to lower that stage down to the, the stage level so that we could get on it and off it we took too much time away from the oh. show. I think that's why they, they said, okay, we'll, Never mind. We'll have the band stay on actually, actually on the stage for the whole show. And we were like, okay, that's that's all right with me. Uh, and I just kept thinking, if I'm upside down, what keeps the bass up? What keeps it from just hitting me in the in the jaw? Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> I, I guess a strap, yeah. a strap through through my crotch. I guess would be. Uh, anyway, yeah. I never had to. I never had to deal with that. And it's a wonderful thing about doing being involved with Peter's tours that he gets such wild, creative ideas. And that you, to be part, to see it going on, to see it going on is a pleasure, but to actually be part of it uh, through the years has been a great pleasure. I, I'm reminded of a tour in, in 2016, there was a Peter Gabriel slash Sting tour along with a wonderful artist Sting and um, two bands, two, two sets of music, but we intertwined, wonderful tour, one of the best tours I've done. Uh, but in the, in the rehearsals, the music rehearsals, the bands rehearsed separately, Peter's tour peter's band tour rehearsed uh sting's band actually i went by their rehearsals in new york city and sting asked me to to be part of it and play a little bass on some stuff so it was a pleasure i could see the tour was going to be great but then when we went to columbus ohio for production rehearsals a week or two in the in the venue where the first uh, show would be i suddenly became aware of a huge difference in the bands where sting's band is used to we go out and we play the show and that's that and peter's band is used to these very complicated production things that we take for granted we don't pay attention anymore so uh, day four for instance of that of those rehearsals there were all these uh, video people videographers and 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 uh technical people going on and doing things and they, and they say to everybody in both bands they said okay we need you one at a time we need you to come over here and we're going to photograph your feet we need you to take off your shoes and we're going to we're going to put you on a round revolving uh, thing on the ground and slowly spin you around as we video your feet. Mm. And 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 the guys in Peter's band were like, OK, yeah, sure. <laughs> and the guys in Sting band, understandably, were like normal people. Well, wait a minute. You're going to what and, <laughs> and why? And and I don't I don't know if I want to do that. And, and it, the difference was staggering. And this was for then they did it with faces and and. Uh, many other things but the it turned out they had in the back of the stage there were strips of, of fabric coming down really huge ones and behind each player they could project uh, a video of not the player in in not his real flesh but mm -hmm. but the video image that they did of the feet <laughs> and of the, the the person's face they could make it into make look look like stone or look like wood or something like that mm -hmm. and unbeknownst to you by the way unbeknownst because you're facing the audience mm -hmm. behind you would be these amazing things uh, uh of yourself and, and behind each player and uh, typical for me because i like taking photos and like knowing what's going on on stage 
I, I encountered once we started the tour. I encountered the the logistical complex uh, uh, situation of how do I get a photo of my revolving self behind myself while mm-hmm. I'm playing and while I'm facing the audience. And, and uh, I, I probably devoted more time to thinking about that than I should have. I should have just been playing the bass. But, and it is quite an amazing experience to be on stage playing in an arena show and all the stuff going on behind you. But then uh, some of the arenas have a screen way over to the side for people who maybe don't have a good view of the stage. Uh, and, and sometimes you'll take a look way over to the side and you'll say, oh, that's, there's a close-up of me. That's what everybody's seeing. And then you'll look down and realize, oh, there's a camera guy right in the, in the pit and right in front. And, he's fo- and they're doing some weird video effect on me. And, and then, oh, I, I, maybe I was happier when I didn't know that. Now I'm worried yeah, about now, how I <laughs> look. I'm and nervous. What I should do. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the email you sent us uh, last night. Hey, uh, do I need to shave for this? <laughs> What kind of well, video are we using? What yeah. production is going on here? Well, we are, you, the three of us are in a video world and we're seeing each other and enjoying that. But the, yeah. yes, I, it was important to me to know, is that what's going up? Because I'll try and look a little better than, than I do. Look. <laughs> yeah. Bruce and I want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. If you'd like to drop us a line, you can email us at whichwayiscatering at gmail.com or visit us at varietyattractions.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Brannigan Inc. and Spectrum Weather Insurance. Which way is catering with Justine and Bruce? Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. That's fabulous.